This is the Married to a Startup podcast. Each episode, we invite an entrepreneur and their spouse to share the realities of raising a family while building a business. Each couple has a unique story to tell about leveraging each other's strengths to build awesome things. Join us as we learn from their experiences. No joke. I mean, I'll say up front, like hardest time in our lives, period. Hands down. I mean, we talk about it as like that year was a black cloud. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh. On this episode, Ryan and Sid talk about fulfilling their dreams and moving to China and the subsequent challenges that followed in their personal lives while their business was thriving. So I want to rewind a little bit. I'm loving this, but there's a piece of your story that I feel like I really want to touch on, and that's Zench in China. And it seems like a lot just happened in your life at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, So why don't you tell us about your decision to move to China and then some of the things you experienced as you, after you moved. Yep. Right. I'll, I'll kind of set the context and then you can get into the, the, the drama. <laughs> when everything hit the fan. <laughs> oh my goodness. No joke. I mean, I'll say up front, like hardest time in our lives, period. Hands down. I mean, we talk about it as like that year was a black cloud. Yeah. Yeah. It was, Oh, painful. So, um, but now it has become, I think, something that is such a, you know, being removed from it, a teacher in, in ways. And, and China is a special place still for us and our kids. So um, we were in our startup. We were three, nearly three years into it. And we found an opportunity to kind of cut to the chase for our product um, in China, meaning you know, we were in the business of helping college uh, high school age students connect with american universities and that happened to be a time when there were droves of chinese coming to the u.s still still exist but especially so then and so we were in a good position to be helpful to them and and help kind of broker that dialogue and and connection between chinese student and american university so we moved to beijing you know it was kind of natural it was like um, um, uh, among I had some experience. I spoke a little Chinese from uh, an LDS church mission, uh, and and so moved to Beijing. It, Ryan also served a mission in Taiwan, so we both speak Chinese. Nice. Um, and so it was like, wow, like you know, sometimes you kind of hope that that your language ability will come into play. This was like it totally will. And we had our first kid who was going to be going to kindergarten, so we're like, and she can go to kindergarten in China. And Ryan, and we had another uh, son, and then Ryan was pregnant, so we sold everything but the shell of our house. We sold our cars, we sold our furniture, we sold everything because we're like, let's go there and let's do this for, let's really, you know, if you're going to make China work, it's like a five-year endeavor. And that's how we thought of it. Mm-hmm. That was the plan. We felt good. Um, we we chose a place smack dab in the middle of the city, 35th floor of a, of a high rise. <laughs> and I commuted an hour and a half by subway to work, but that was totally fine because this was the adventure. Ryan is comfortable. She can communicate. Um, I could read my hist- you know, modern history of China on my subway rides. And it was like almost idyllic, right? That's the context. We moved to Beijing. Past to Rai. <laughs> So I was six months pregnant when we got there, and we were just totally setting up shop, right? I was meeting other expats and going to Ikea in Beijing and getting furniture and assembling it. So in that way, maybe not so different from my life now. Um, And it was pretty amazing. We made some amazing friends that we are still in touch with today. Um, And then the baby came. 
and we were just totally caught off guard. Um, I'd never had any complications or anything before. This pregnancy had gone um, really smooth. And so the baby was born, and I just remember I'm overhearing Sid and the pediatrician talking while I'm getting stitched up. And they're saying stuff about, oh, you know, laser treatments and, you know, oh, it's swelling. And I'm like, what is happening? And so they finally, they bring um, our daughter Micah over to me and her tongue is protruding all the way out of her mouth and covering her chin. It's that large. And her lips are um, also extremely large and purple. Like, you know, what is happening? Um, but our doctor, who was actually um, an American, uh, who was living over in China, was just very encouraging. And he's like, you know, yeah, laser treatments, it can be treated. She probably bit her tongue in delivery. It's going to be okay. And so we go to bed that night, and the next morning I'm putting lotion on her, and then I just start feeling masses underneath her skin. And I do speak Chinese. Um, I'm very conversational, but I don't know medical terms. And so, you know, there's, you know, problems with translation. The nurses are trying to tell me stuff. I'm kind of trying to piece together what's going on. They want to take her, um, our daughter, to a different hospital to start getting some MRIs. They don't have that at the hospital that we're at. And I was like, yeah, no. They're like, we'll just take her with a wet nurse. It's fine. I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> Don't take my baby. Thanks, but no thanks. And so finally, we just go upstairs to get an ultrasound of her neck and her mouth and her tongue. And I'm, you know, just listening as hard as I can to, you know, what they're saying in Chinese. And the one word I know medically is cancer. And I hear them say it's not cancer. So I was like, oh, whew. You know, we're out of the woods. Um, and then our pediatrician came back after hours so that he was off the record and said, you know, now that we're kind of seeing that there are massive sets of tumors all through her mouth, her tongue, her throat, um, you have got to get her back to the States as fast as you can. And so the embassy started working with us. We're, you know, taking passport pictures. We're getting visas. We're... Everything's just thrown together. So when she was nine days old, I flew back um, with a return ticket, planning on spending two weeks in the U.S. Getting, getting her some, all fixed up and come back. Yeah, some type of like steroid medicine. I don't know. Hopefully there's an ointment. We can apply twice a day and we'll be all good. <laughs> and on the day I was supposed to fly back to China, um, a lot of her results started coming back in. And I was just expecting to go into this meeting get the results, get the medicine, go. Um, and that's when we found out that she needed a tracheostomy because the cysts, most of them were not treatable and her airway was compromised and she was um, dropping below normal oxygen levels more than a hundred times a minute wow. while she was sleeping. And so she immediately went on oxygen and we're looking at all these surgeries and that's when we realized I would not be going back. And so Sid is in China with our two kids, our other two children, and I'm in the States with no car, 
no house, no nothing, bumming rides, borrowing cars, sleeping in people's basement apartments. Spending an exorbitant amount of time at Primary Children's with our daughter. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm back in China, and you know, I'm with the kids, and you know, we had it wasn't as easy as well. Let's just get the kids back. So there was a span of um, a month and a half where I'm in China, kind of managing the startup, commuting, and out. All of a sudden, all the things that were great were horrible. I'm leaving my three-year-old at home with a nanny who only speaks Chinese. My daughter's going to an all-Chinese school, which we were told she'll cry for the first three months, and then it's great. We're in that period. So I'm dropping her off every day. She's in tears. And then I'm commuting an hour and a half. I'd get calls like, you know, from the nanny, like, oh, your son locked himself in the bathroom, and I can't communicate with him to get him out. You know, he's three. And he Um, doesn't know Chinese. Yeah. I mean, for me, the... The probably the, the day where it was like the worst, you know, I was the lowest of lows where I'm stressed out in the morning. My daughter's like late getting out the door. We're walking out the front door and I'm just like, come on. And I spank her as she's walking. We get in the elevator. She looks up at me, my five-year-old, and she's like, that's not how daddies are supposed to treat their daughters. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is horrible. Um, so it was hard. It was really hard. And then, of course, I mean, I'm because I'm think I can't do anything for Ryan and Micah back there. Um, we had massive help, to be clear. Like I had um, team members in China who were exceptional team members in the States who were so supportive. So to be really clear, like there were just some aspects of it that you can't get around. However, we had family members who rallied. Um, we had doctors who were, you know, total godsends to us and um so we were we were fortunate, but it was hard. Yeah, it was really hard. Yeah. Yeah, so Micah had her first major surgery while Sid was still in China with the other kids. And this was to get her, her trach in. And so I'm not allowed to take her out of the hospital and take her home wherever I could find a spare bed at this point until I've taken five days of medical training, of trach training. Wow. And so I'm taking these classes every day to try and learn how to care for our daughter. And then at night, um, at that time, they were shared rooms in um, the PICU. And so there's a certain time where parents are all locked out for an hour every night so they can do the rounds and the patients can still have some level of privacy. There's not other parents and adults hanging around. So I have to leave my newborn baby with, you know, basically breathing out of a coffee stirrer out of her throat for an hour, twice a day in the morning and at the night. And I would just go to the the cafeteria at the hospital and I'd call Sid back in China and just, you know, cry and cry. Um, but we got through it and Sid finally was able to make it back to the U.S. with the other kids and leave behind all the great Ikea furniture I had assembled. (laughs) Well, really leave behind like that dream. I mean, that was the first time where it was like, whoa, this was a ride that that seemed just, you know, fun bumps, but it's like bumps at Disneyland on a roller coaster to like, no, like this is... This is uh, this is a bummer. This is something that we thought was right, thought was good, but there's just the unexpected and kind of the chaos of life that that sometimes you feel is just arbitrary chaos. Um, and uh, yeah. But Sid still had that new, you know, Zinch China company with all these employees that we also couldn't abandon. And so Sid started commuting to China 
every month. An easy commute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there were days, yeah. I mean, literally, we, we found our place back in Utah. I just stepped out the front door. I'm like, I'm going to find the closest place that I can find an office. I found a little insurance company. I'm like, that's where I'm officing from because I need to be close as I can for when I'm home. But then, uh, but then I'm on the road a lot. Yeah. So how did you, can you think of anything specific that you did during that period to support each other through it or to kind of survive together through it? I think survive is the right yeah. word. There was no plan. There was no, it was just like, yeah. hold on to that bar and don't let go almost. And we couldn't really even be together that often because one, he was traveling to China constantly, but when he was home... And this is the way that he was a great support. So our daughter couldn't be left alone with anyone who wasn't either tra trained or an RN. And so the pool of people who can give us a little breathing space is extremely small. And so when Sid would come home, um, Sid got tra trained once he came back. Um, and then I could leave him um, with our daughter and I could go to the grocery store mm -hmm. or... Um, yeah, go on a walk, you know, just really small things. And so there was a lot of kind of trading off that way. But, you know, she was on oxygen at night and wore a pulse oximeter and it would go off constantly. So our sleep levels were, I mean, next to nothing. It wasn't even like having a newborn. It was... Oh, when we did have our fourth Constant. after her, it was like, this is easy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but, but really, and now when we tell people, when it's like, you're pregnant, it's like, you know, we hope you have a healthy baby that that like is, you know, that we don't say that tritely. Like it's 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 enough that you bring a child into this world. Like we just hope to heaven that like your baby is healthy because, you know, it's it's challenging when it's not, you know. Yeah. But, but on the other side of that, I also feel like when people say it doesn't matter as long as it's healthy. And I say, actually, that doesn't even matter. Like you hope for sure you hope. But if that baby is not healthy, that baby is still yours yeah, and you're going to love it. And, you know, you're going to carry whatever mantle you have to carry because it's your child. Yeah. 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 Um, today, Micah, our daughter, she turns eight in a couple of weeks. She was out on the corner. Uh, she wanted to make uh, with her buddy um, fruit punch and sell it on the corner. So she was out hustling, working the corner. <laughs> She's. She's a remarkable girl. She's really talented. She's she's our true fighter. I mean, she's just like kind of ice already runs through her veins. <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah. It, it, sometimes you have to remind yourself, and she looks different today. Physically, she has some deformity, yeah. but um, which we just kind of love about her now. It, you know, it's like that's just her. Oh. Um, but she just had her fifteenth surgery. Yeah, a month or two ago, and you know we're gearing up for another one later this year, and. So it's an ongoing journey, but yeah, you just, you just do it. Yeah. So I know I'm hogging all the questions, Doug. They're good questions. Um, so I'm curious where entrepreneurship comes into all of this. Do you, did you ever have a moment where you felt like, I'm so glad this is our career path because this has really helped us to manage through this situation? Or vice versa, feeling like, ugh, entrepreneurship kind of makes this tricky to handle because I have so many people relying on me. Or maybe you never even thought of how it impacted it. I think it's been really great because 
It has allowed us to handpick the people that we are surrounded by. And that has made a huge difference in not only with our experience with Micah, um, but I, I especially think of um, Sid's brother. Um, we lost Sid's brother 10, almost 11 years ago. Yeah. And, um, and it was a situation where he went missing. And Sid's whole office, it shut down. Everybody was out there searching and helping. Yeah. And... Ooh, um, when you work in a big corporation, you're hired in. You don't you don't pick who you work with. You just work with who you work with. Um, and most often, you're going to find great people. But when you have your own business, you are handpicking the best of the best. And it has made all the difference, um, I think, in making a good work environment, um, ensuring that Sid loves what he does, because it's it's the people that matter. Um, so often, right, it starts with a great idea, but it's, it's the people that bring the drive to keep things going. Yeah, no question. And now as, as an investor, like, you know, thinking of the entrepreneurs I want to back, yes, I want them to be wildly successful, but, but if there can't be like that, you know, that, um, um, like, consideration for their team and their employees that's the most fundamental thing then it's like a damn shame like really you built this and like the most fundamental building block of what you have because yeah we've been fortunate we have people who um you know some of them doug you know oh, yeah. who will do anything for like a drop of hat they did that for us right we were arm in arm like searching you know for for my bro at, at one point and in China, people who are just like, take the time you need, we've got this. And that's like, that's, that's just the human experience, right? Entrepreneurship is some little corner of it, but that's the human experience. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. That being said, you know, it is hard when it pushes the extra hours and, um, you know, the buck stops with Sid, right. And everybody's looking to him for answers. Um, and I remember with Zinch at one point, they kind of grew it to the point that they could. And they're like, we need to bring in a CEO who is seasoned, who can help us take it to the next level. And shortly after Anne started, Sid was getting these emails at like 3 a.m. Mm -hmm. And it was like, this is so awesome. <laughs> Somebody else is awake through the night worrying about this business. Like we were getting good sleep and waking up to emails that were happening in the middle of the night. It wasn't Sid who was up in Writing the middle of them. the night. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so at that point, that was really nice for him to kind of step back a little and yeah. have that weight shifted. Yeah, there was a point, yeah, where I would say... You know, people other than founders, founding team had just as much or more kind of commitment to it. And that's where, you know, something's in probably even better hands or more hands to lift the, the load. Yeah. So when Zinch was bought mm -hmm. and you stepped away uh, from our startup grind conversation, Chandler was reminding me that you said that you just cried. And it, it sounds like with a lot more context that, that like these people had become family. Yeah. And so it, it to me makes a lot more sense is uh do you find yourself still getting as emotionally invested into uh what you're doing today as 
as you did with Zinch? Yeah, uh, I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, by the same token, um, you know, I, I I care about what my entrepreneurs think. Mm -hmm. um, the hardest thing sometimes is are moments when um, when they've uh, questioned maybe me backing them or how I'm backing them. Uh, that's hard. That that will rock me, and I hope I get better. But for a couple days, where I'm just kind of in a I feel like I have a cloud over my head because mm -hmm. um, I care. You know, I I try not to care about what too many people think, but I care about what the founders that I back think. Um, we work hard uh, for them. We try to to have their best interest in mind at all times and to really find alignment. Um, but uh, but yeah, there are times where it's like um, you know it, it saps you mm -hmm. um, of, of kind of your your energy levels. Oh, which reminds me. You know, whenever I have friends who their husbands are thinking of starting a business and they're like, <laughs> Ryan, what could you tell me? You've been down this road before. Um, one of the things that we've really learned is you can't double down on the down times where it's like, meaning when Sid's down, when things are hard, it's not helpful for me to freak out and to be down with him. Mm -hmm. That's when it's like, I need to come in, even if. I'm worried about the business, even if I'm worried about, you know, we can have those conversations later, right? I don't need to ignore how I'm feeling, um, but I need to bring all the optimism I can into those moments so that we have that balance that somebody's up when the other person's down and then vice versa. When I'm having down times, you know, Sid can step away from some of those mental hardships that he's having at work and really focus on bringing me back up. and. And finding that balance because yeah if we're both if we're both down um you know who's steering the ship <laughs> yeah I, I have a quick question back to when you sold zinch ryan how did you feel it was really exciting yeah yeah i mean i felt like we had put our heart and souls into it and our whole lives right wherever where we lived everything had revolved around it and to see the company go that far was really exciting. Sid was in Denmark, is that right? Yeah. When I think, you know, kind of the ink hit the paper. And so he's calling me and this is how a lot of things happen in our lives. The excitement, the hard times are happening over the phone because mm -hmm. we're in different locations. Um, but it was still like, wow, like we, we made it there. And I really felt like it was a we. It wasn't just that Sid had taken it there, and I was super. I was super proud of him. Um, he was the only founder left in the company at this point, and so he had really had to put forth um, kind of that extra energy to help carry things through. And so I was so proud, but I felt like we had really, you know, come a long way, and we were still together, and that said a lot. Um, and the fact that other people were now going to be able to enjoy and celebrate and recognize all that hard work was really gratifying. Were you excited for the next adventure? Were you ready for a quick breather? I mean, you didn't even, <laughs> it wasn't that you just experienced building a business, which I feel like is enough for two people to experience together and be excited that they're still together at the end. But you experienced really difficult hardship as well. That was uh, I'm sure it's hard to separate the that experience of building the business from uh, from what you experienced with Micah and with your brother as well. 
Did you, were you ready for a break? True to our natures, I was ready to step back and regroup, and Sid was ready to charge full steam ahead. <laughs> and there was this agreement um, that went south really quickly <laughs> that Sid was going to take, like, I think it started off like, it's like, I'm going to take six months off, and we're just going to, you know, as a family, travel and do these things. And then it was like, well, probably three months is more realistic. And then... You know, other people are calling him about ideas and all these things, and he's got to go to these meetings, and this person in this country is... <laughs> so he's all of a sudden leaving, and and I ended up getting, like, I think, like, three days. <laughs> <laughs> and this is... Yeah, it's true. This is, you know, after we sold the company, I stayed on for two years with the acquiring company. So there was that time, which was... It was, I would say... Um, it was spectacular. I got to see a much larger organization, a CEO who's now a dear friend, a mentor, the CEO of a now publicly traded company. And we saw after acquisition, then two years later, that company was part of taking it public. And, and so that was another like just, um, you know, you feel like you're a, you know, the, the young JV player, you know, on the court with with these these real studs. Um, my experience with Chegg, the company that acquired ours was spectacular um and uh but what ryan's referencing is then when, when we left check it was like it was the right time you know it was mm -hmm. i was ready for something maybe earlier stage and yeah we had sort of i had a mentor who was like you'll never regret taking more time take a bunch of time with ryan and the kids and i was all in and then it's just hard <laughs> for two hours hard. yeah it's hard when <laughs> other opportunities you're like oh it sounds also so interesting and we get you i can get a little stir crazy too yeah yeah Okay, I have a, a question for Sid that's yeah. kind of risky. Sure. I, I'm going to ask you. It's not live, so I could cut it out if you answer wrong. But um, <laughs> There's a right and wrong answer. <laughs> I want to test my thes the thesis for this podcast on you as an investor. So my, my hypothesis is that people, couples who learn to work together to build awesome things both inside and outside of their homes benefit from that in business. So as they invest in the relationship together, that moving forward together can really help them in their businesses. So you you watch entrepreneurs as an investor and you I don't know how many how much maybe you see of their personal lives and, and their relationships with their spouses, but um, do you feel like you see that playing out at all? And you can say no and I'll just cut it out. I, I, I no, I, I think you're spot on in, in two ways. A lot of the personalities that it takes <clears throat> to to get a startup off the ground are are um, rare and sometimes more extreme personalities. Um, uh, they can do remarkable things. Founders do it all the time. Um, being sort of held grounded with a partner um, who sometimes counter who oftentimes counterbalances that. Like if you were to look at a very gregarious whatever you know founder chances are like you wouldn't be you know you'd, you either would or wouldn't be surprised by their spouse who i'm if they have a spouse who who is probably somebody who provides a massively grounding force to them so that's the first thing and, and i think that overall is good because you need to sort of dream and be crazy when everybody else is saying otherwise but occasionally you know and especially as you're building teams and and caring for the human aspect of of your startup like you, you also have to sometimes just come down to everybody's level 
um, and and bring them from there to your big vision. The second thing is, it's an indication of, and it's a it's a um, your first opportunity or or an opportunity, I guess, first in our case, but to work with a real partner and partnerships amongst founders. Eventually, should you take venture capital or investment, um, your founding team, some of your first big hires, when you hire that person who's even more senior than you who's coming in, your ability to manage a partnership is critical, absolutely critical. Um, I think you know it's not the reason founders win just mm-hmm. because of great partnerships, but it's definitely a reason they can fail is poor partnerships and, and, and uh, not understanding or just having experience with how to navigate that. There will be disagreements, there will be heated times, there will be words said that are regrettable, but you know, the ability to work through those, I think is, um, is one super important piece that, that, that lowers the risk for founders, or, or maybe the better way to put it is increases the opportunities for them to succeed. Again, not the, not the silver bullet by any means, but certainly an important piece to, to what it takes. Awesome, I appreciate your answer. Um, I could ask you questions all night long, really. I have about 10 more, but um, but we probably ought to wrap up. So do you have a final question for them, Doug? Uh, I want to hear about, so they've talked about their rituals within their family. And then they also mentioned like uh, being, well, Sid being very satisfied with being a VC. But then he, he kind of alluded to, uh, there being some things with your family that you want to still do. What give us like the top three things on the bucket list for you, Sid and Ryan? Well, one of the things that we've started, oh gosh, like three years ago, maybe. Yeah, this is, is our fourth year. Yeah, is cousin camps, where we are the only two adults, and we take all of the nieces and nephews, ages eight and up, on an adventure, and we really try to push them. Um, usually physically, um, <laughs> to do things that they wouldn't normally do or experience things that, that sometimes they think, oh, I, I could not do that. The very first year we took them white water rafting and several of the kids were like, you know, having stomach aches, I can't do this, like really nervous. And we're just like, no, no, you can do this, you can do this. And it was amazing. And so we do this every summer now. How many kids are involved? This um, year it'll like, be 11. Yeah. <laughs> and it has at its peak been like 13. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so, you know, we're like driving two vans and we're <laughs> um, heading out. It's so much fun, you it's guys. It's a blast. But to be able to create, you know, these experiences with our nieces and nephews, I think is invaluable. I mean, they... They know us in ways that they wouldn't mm-hmm. otherwise. You know, we sit around the campfire, we sing songs, we tell stories, we talk about kind of the family narrative and make sure that they always know that outside of their parents, outside of the grandparents, like they always have us. And that is super important to us. And so we've done that with Sid's side of the family now for four years. This year is our first year to do it with my side of the family. My side of the family is much younger. Um, and so they're, we're finally having kind of enough cousins to put yeah. together a camp. <laughs> but I think we'll continue to do that as long as we have cousins who are willing to come. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Two other things that, that matter, you know, to me kind of in terms of uh, putting time into it, thinking that it's maybe an, 
underserved or just interesting opportunity are um, inmates in prison and mm-hmm. and minorities, specifically Hispanics and specifically in Utah. Um, so next week I'll be at a maximum security prison outside of LA with a handful of our founders um, uh, through uh, through an existing program teaching entrepreneurship. But first, empathizing with, but then an understanding that some people never really have a first chance, but then um, teaching and helping uh, principles of entrepreneurship with prison inmates. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. My, my best friend from high school is in prison right now. And, uh, you know, I, uh, Anyway, so it's something that I feel like it's an interesting. We there was a history of mass incarceration in our country. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who, um, based on the way they were or how or what context they were born into, they never had a legitimate first chance. And recidivism is so high; it's it's just it's unfortunate. But yeah. um, that's to me is an, is something that I would love to be a part of helping. The second one is I was raised by my mom. My mom's full-blooded Mexican. I consider myself Mexican. You wouldn't know it from my name. Uh, my dad came here from Holland, but uh, but I was raised by my mother. And I think there are champions for other forms of diversity in the state. And thank goodness, um, whether it's women, um, uh, we have nearby here, uh, the what's the home we went to? The Encircle House. The Encircle House for LGBTQ plus, you know, uh, friends. Um, I, I think especially in entrepreneurship, I remember being with one other, um, he, he was, he's Mexican, Hispanic friend, and, you know, we're in this you know, auditorium and, and the thing being talked about was gender. And again, appropriately so, we also were like, what about nobody in here, you know, or very few are Hispanic, you know, mm-hmm. and that happens to be, you know, one group that um, exists in Utah in meaningful numbers, and yet they're kind of absent from some of the um, entrepreneurship scene. And so that's interesting. And I don't, I don't have an answer, but yeah. I've spent time with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. I've talked to others, and and I feel like it's something that at some point I'll get behind and and with some of my own time and resources say, hey, let me see where I can pitch in uh, because. Uh, yeah, it's a group that obviously you know, feels near and dear to me. Yeah. Thank you so much for Thanks, taking guys. your time for us this, this evening. Great. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. If you love the content and want to hear more, please leave a review on your podcast player and tell your friends. Special thanks to Jed Jones for the intro music. Have a great day.